Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. I'm going to say it hurts when you get hit with it because the ball's coming at 70, 80 miles per hour sometimes, but other than that... <laughs> The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Hello, Allison. How are you today? I'm obviously not as caffeinated as you. You sound really <laughs> No, I'm trying to, I am trying to beat the heat and sound peppy. Oh, I've listened to a lot wow. of myself lately, so I'm like, oh, hey, let's change it up. <laughs> Just, I, I had trouble following because you went so fast. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's also because I've been editing in like 1.25 speed. <laughs> so <laughs> if anybody is trying to pod fast this, oh, I guess you're in trouble. Yeah, man. <laughs> It'll be Olympic fever with Allison and the Chipmunks. That's right. That's right. But I, I am very excited because this came together pretty quickly. We are talking handball this week. And this has been on our short list of sports to discuss, you know, because yes. our, our listeners had asked that we talk about handball. And we sat, spent a lot of time going, huh, or at least I spent a lot of time like, huh, and then I watched some handball and go, that's cool, and be like, huh, what do I do? And then it turns out that USA Team Handball is playing in a Pan Am Games qualifier tournament this coming week. So our guest today, Sarah Gaskin, who she's captain of the Women's USA Team Handball team. She was kind enough to sit down with us earlier today and chat and tell us a little bit about the sport. Sarah has played a variety of sports before she got into handball, including playing at the World Championships of Women's Baseball, NCAA Division I Volleyball, and she was also an all-Louisiana softball player. She joined the Senior Women's National Handball Team in 2005 and has been playing with them ever since. Sarah sat down to explain how the sport works. Take a listen. First, let's just talk about the game itself and how it's played. Because it, the, the crazy thing about handball is that it's very fast and very fun to watch. And it's insanely popular in other parts of the world. And just nobody in the U.S. watches it. 
So tell us how to be better watchers when we tune in. Yeah, it's kind of funny when you start, when you look at it, it's always really entertaining after our games and we go and sit in the stands or say hi to the fans and they're like, we had no idea what was going on or what the rules were or anything, but it was so fun to watch. And so what we try to say, what I usually try to say, and I try to explain it to kids this way and teachers and parents and people that are my age, everybody, I try to say, think about all the awesome sports that we play here in the United States and then mash it all into one. And then that's handball. So when I describe it, I just described it yesterday on a radio, the radio station. And I said, it's like water polo, but on a basketball court or soccer with your hands or, you know, has elements of volleyball where there's blocking and, you know, even the arm swing or the shot that we have, it's like an arm swing in volleyball or um, throwing a baseball, throwing a softball. There's dribbling like there is in basketball. And the funny thing about that is that you could dribble, once you catch the ball, you could dribble it as many times as you want, pick it up and then take three steps. Or you could take three steps before the dribble if you wanted to, but you can't double dribble. And so that's where people kind of get confused because they're like, is there traveling? Yes, there is traveling. It's just that you could only take three steps and you could take three steps before and after a dribble. We also have this, we call it a six meter area or a goalie area. And that's the different color um, area that you see where the goalie stands and, and you see that the goal. You as a player, a court player cannot step in it. They could jump into it and land in it. However, we can't cross the line or step in it um, and then when you watch the game and you see some players cross it or a ref does this that means that a defensive player crossed it and they'll issue a seven meter a penalty shot to the um, offensive player if they are shooting and it's really funny because you have different defenses like you would in basketball so you have a you could have a man defense you could have six zero zone defense you could have a 5-1 defense, a 5-plus-1, a 4-2, a 3-2-1. So there's all these different types of defenses. Um, what you don't traditionally see, like you would see in basketball, is maybe a full-court press. We don't have full-court presses. Sometimes we'll pinch offensive players when they're attacking, um, if they're very good with a set offense or they're you know, kind of the go-to player on the team. But other than that, it's uh, it's basically a hybrid sport for us. All the awesome sports that we play, that's what it's like. And and when I started playing it, I just tried to relate it to as many things as possible that I knew as an athlete from all the other sports that I played. So when I was, of course, right before I was watching all the best goals, yeah. <laughs> all the best scores. So it's called a goal, right? Yes. When you score. Okay. So that much is like soccer. And then the goal, when you're talking about the goalie area, sounds like hockey. Yes. And it looks like a big basketball court that you're playing on, sort yes. of a double-sized basketball court. Correct. And then there are people running and carrying the ball like football, but they dribble like basketball. So there is a lot of pieces. Oh, yeah. Happening. Oh. So Olympic style is six plus a goalie. Yes, ma'am. So, okay, so it's six uh, on six and then yep. the goalie. Yeah, just I'm making sure I know the actual numbers and real <laughs> terms. Yeah. You know, because I have never seen a whole handball game, yeah. you know, sort of bits and highlights here. Right. So you said a pinch. What is that? Like if you're throwing a ball. So you could, uh, you have technique, a throwing technique similar to like a pitcher, baseball player, 
position player and whatnot. So when we're, we, and I'm a doctoral student in kinesiology and my focus is on upper extremity throwing mechanics. So I apologize if I get a little too nerdy, but yeah, we study the, the throw, the biomechanics of the throw. And so we look at the differences between um, maybe a softball player or baseball player compared to a handball player. And so there are differences that you see in terms of the throwing mechanics. But what makes it, what makes handball unique is that you have, it's called stickum or glue, and it's similar to pine tar, where it's very sticky. And we, we put it on our fingertips, and that's why the ball doesn't necessarily dribble all the time. Or when we pass it, you see these epic catches sometimes. It's because we have stickum on our hands or glue on our hands that helps us catch the ball. And then when we throw it, it gives us just a little bit more velocity on the ball, which is really kind of inter an interesting note. But yeah, we have really kind of differences um, with that that assist us. Because we are, we are sweating and it's difficult to handle the ball sometimes when you do when you have that sweat on your hand and then it gets on the ball. Is the ball like leather or is it fuzzy or like a basketball or what's it what's it actually like to hold one? Yeah, it's like a soft rubber. It looks like a mini soccer ball. And so there's three different types of balls that we have. We have a kid's ball, which is a size one, uh, the women's size ball or the junior ball, which is a size two. I, when I say size two, it's a International Handball Federation uh, sizes. And then you have a size three, which is a men's ball, which is a little bit bigger. So the women's ball is about the size of a cantaloupe, I would say, and then a men's ball is a little bit bigger than that. Um, so just to give you all an understanding of it. And it's pretty, pretty soft for the most part. It's not as hard as a basketball but not necessarily as soft as a volleyball and not as like not the same type of texture as a soccer ball so it's a it's a different type of rubber but it's soccer rubber so you could dribble and it doesn't I mean it I'm gonna say it hurts when you get hit with it because the ball's coming at 70 80 miles per hour sometimes but other than that <laughs> you could talk to probably the goalies about the bruises that they have on their arms and their legs from some of the shots and some of the shots are coming very close at a very high speed, uh, two to three feet sometimes uh, between them and the position player. So, and there's yeah. not a lot of protective gear that the goalie no. is wearing. No, I they wear um, sometimes they wear elbow pads and knee pads underneath their long sleeve and and, uh, and their pants. But other than that, they don't really have any chest guards or. I mean, sometimes you have that material now that has you know like the basketball players where they have the padding on their hips and and whatnot, and then their body, their um, their ribs. But other than that, you don't really have any type of protective gear. And that's the thing that's unique about handball as well, that you have ankle braces and then some type of braces, but it's actually illegal to wear um, like the ACL braces that a lot of the football players wear. You're not allowed to wear those. You, and if you do actually wear them, it has to be wrapped in like basically rubber because you could actually hurt and because it's so dynamic and fast paced you could end up hurting another player on the other team and so they're pretty protective about the clothing that we wear the wristbands the headbands the braces that we decide to wear it kind of um, it all has to match there's different rules that come out all the time but you'll see us we all have to wear the same socks we all have to make sure we wear the same wristbands our uniform ha has to be the same so yeah, there's certain rules and regulations to protective gear as well. Even your mouth guard can't have any logo or any design on it. It has to just be plain, which is funny too. But yeah, these are some of the new rules that have come out. 
the the amazing thing is that there's not much equipment needed really and you don't need a lot of personal equipment so this is an easy pickup sport it sounds like yes it's very to me it's very similar to soccer or pickup basketball i mean yes we do need goals of course but we play grass handball we play beach handball we play handball in the gym the difference is of course that most of the american gyms that we have here aren't suited for a handball court because the handball court is 40 meters by 20 meters um, and most of them are suited for american uh, for basketball however we make do we make it work and we're here at auburn university and we have the beard east coliseum which we'll be playing we have played in for the past four years and uh, we have an olympic size handball court that we practice on and so that makes it convenient for us and anytime we do camps uh, training camps or camps with the kids or or any type of clinics they usually come here and and we work with the kids on our court. So, yeah, we really don't need a whole lot. And uh, it makes it fun and convenient. And even the some of the, the PE classes, we've gone into the PE classes, even though they have a small gym, we still make it work. We have, we have um, goals that we designed and set up for them for their gyms. One of the pen- penalties you talked about was crossing into the goalie area. What other types of penalties can one get? Well, you can't hit anybody from behind. Okay. You can't hit anybody from the side. I learned that lesson, very difficult lesson, uh, my rookie year where somebody stole the ball. And I was thinking, I could chase this player down the court. Of course I can. Ran the player down. I didn't get a chance to get in front of her. And I played volleyball almost my whole life. And I jumped up and I reached up in front of her, blocked her shot, didn't touch her at all. And I ended up getting a red card because you can't, it's an illegal move. And I didn't know any better, but yeah. So a red card results in you are off the bench. You have to take off your jersey and you have to go sit in the stands. But yeah, so you get three, two minutes for the game. Your third two minutes results in a red card. And that usually happens with illegal play. So anytime a a player has the ball and they get past you and you end up hitting their arm or something that's a dangerous play, the offensive player usually results in a, in a two minute, not all the time because refs are not perfect, but uh, some of the time, uh, most of the time, I would say it results in a two minute. You have a position that's called a circle runner or pivot. They're the player that's like a post player that kind of runs around inside the, there's a dash line, which is our nine meter line. And then the six meter line right before the goalie area, um, they usually run around inside that area. So usually what happens once they get the ball, they tend to draw a lot of penalties or end two minutes because it's very difficult for defensive players sometimes to position themselves where they could push the pivot forward or, or get into defensive position where the, the player plays in front of them and they can't turn. So usually most of the time when you get receive a two minutes because of an illegal action from the side or from behind. What makes somebody good at handball? What are the skills? Are you talking Americans or Europeans? Okay, well, what's the difference? <laughs> yeah. European handball players, they grow up playing handball. So, you know, five years old, five, six, seven, eight years old. It's no different from us when we learn how to play soccer or basketball or baseball or some of these other sports. You know, we grow up playing those sports, of course. And that's the difference. The Europeans, they grow and develop and learn how to play this game at a very young age where 
us as American athletes, we don't necessarily learn it at that age. We're learning football and basketball, baseball, like I said. And so most of us, the American U.S.-based players, we've learned it at 20, 21, 22 years old, right out of college, after we're done playing our collegiate sport. The men's players as well, some of them have learned it, picked it up in college, so at 18, 19 years old. But uh, we also have a lot of men's players that have come from college sports as well that pick it up right out of college. So the difference is that we grow up playing all these other different sports, or now some of the athletes have been specializing, which I'm sure you've done a segment on that, but they've specialized in their sport. And so they, they try to pick up handball, which as we started the segment with the, the different skills of handball. And so I think that you give yourself an, an advantage when you are a multi-sport athlete, because it's, I don't want to say that handball is easy, but it's easier to pick up the different skills that are required for handball rather than if you're just a single sport athlete. Not that the single sport athletes can't do it because we've had plenty and they've been they've done exceptionally well. But it's easier to, I think, pick up some of the skills in handball, like the dribbling and uh, the blocking and the shooting and the jumping and cutting and whatnot. So you get, definitely give yourself an advantage as a U.S.-based player if you can play multiple sports. But in, uh, if you're a European player or some of the dual citizens that we have, they've only played handball. So they don't know some of the other sports that kind of skills, they don't, they don't require the other skills. They just know how to play handball. So it's different for us, for sure. So when you add new people to the team or doing tryouts, like what kind of skills do you look for these people to have? Do they have to have like really good agility? Do they have to have speed, all of the above, strong arms or what what do you look for i think we look for the overall athlete yes speed and strength matters endurance matters of course we play two 30 minute halves you have a 10 minute halftime or 15 minute halftime so those things matter however those are also things that they could learn and through our training and our, our strength and conditioning program they develop those different attributes for the game so when we're looking at uh, the athletes that we have we do it helps if you know how to throw a ball, for sure. But we've had plenty of athletes that come in that don't know how to throw a ball at all. One of our best players now, she played basketball at Vanderbilt, did not know how to throw a ball at all and had to learn how to throw a ball. And it took her a few months of training to learn how to throw a ball efficiently. And now she's one of our top scorers. And so we've also had soccer players that come in. Some uh, We had a great soccer player a few years ago played at Northwestern. And once again, didn't necessarily know how to throw a ball, learn how to throw a ball. And so we have great athletes that have come in from top division one programs. Uh, and usually those athletes are your upper echelon athletes. They've earned full rides to their university for their specific sport. And um, they come and try this new sport and they pick it up. I don't want to say pretty easily, but they pick it up uh, within a, a few months. And then they start adding more tools to the tool, toolbox where they learn how to swim move or they learn different shots or, you know, then they start adding different skills to their growth and development. So most of the time on the women's side, we have usually most of our athletes, I would say all of our American athletes definitely play collegiate sports on the men's side. Like I said, it's a little bit different. Not all of them play collegiate sports. They have a handful that play collegiate sports, but they ha also have uh, quite a few dual citizens as well. So it's just different. It's different between the, the genders for sure. But I would say most of the time, the athletes that do come in, you know, your better athletes are, they're multi 
sport athletes and, and they've done a lot of different things and they have those, those high level skills of running fast and having good instincts and court sense and um, know how to throw a ball. So besides scoring, you know, obviously someone scores a goal, what else should the viewers be watching for? Well, I think I'm not really sure how people feel about watching sports on TV, but watching the game actually live, it feels way more intense, I think. I would probably, I may compare it to how ice hockey is. Um, some people really enjoy watching ice hockey on TV and also really enjoy it in the arena, but some people have a difficult time watching hockey on TV. This is obviously a little bit different because it's so fast-paced and a lot of scoring. But what they should pay attention to, I think, is just trying to pick up the details of the game and the movement. The European players, I feel like they are they are finesse. They dance. They have a nice rhythm to their style of play. Where us in our hemisphere in the Americas, I don't want to say we, we don't know how to dance. It just looks a little bit different. It's a little bit more blue-collar, tough. You know, I feel like Brazil a few years ago, they almost reinvented the game because of their style of defense uh, and their tough intensity at which they played. And I feel like that's kind of how our hemisphere is. We have a more hard-nosed, blue-collar style of handball, in my opinion, than the European players. And you can definitely see the difference between the American style and European players. And, and we could tell when we were playing. And it's always funny when we go overseas and we're done playing our competition and you know, we'll talk to the other team and they'll always end up saying, gosh, you guys are just so tough to play against because, you know, it's hard nose and we hit. When we hit, we're hitting hard. And so it's a little bit, not that the Europeans don't hit hard, they do. It just looks a little bit different and our style and our posture and our movements are just a little bit different. Because remember, we're American athletes that are using our skills from other sports and trying to adapt to this style of play. We were watching film today, earlier today, and I remember this play clearly, but when we saw it on film, I started laughing again, and I was saying, oh, there's a basketball player, there's a basketball player, and it was funny, we were all on a fast, there was three of us on a fast break, and the first girl that got a ball, she played college basketball, and she got the ball, and she ended up pivoting. She ended up pivoting like she would in basketball, and that's a step. Every time you pivot, you take, that's a step. So she, she pivoted a couple of times, passed it to the next player. Next player, she played college basketball. She did the same thing, ended up pivoting, and then they passed it to me. I didn't pivot. I scored, but I was just laughing as we were watching it. I was like, there's a Division One basketball player, and then there's a Division One basketball player. But it's funny because you just revert back to your instincts, right, which is your old habits, which is your skill. So one of the other – one of those players, basketball players, she, she's played – for the national team for 10 years now. And you just can't help it sometimes. You just refer back to um, what you what you know. You get the ball in your hands, you pivot. That's just yeah, what you do. I, so this weekend, you're doing a qualifier for the Pan Am Games. So the Pan Am Games are next year, right? Yes. Okay. Playing Canada for the chance to play in the Pan Am Games. Do you know how many teams get into the Pan Am Games? Yes, we have eight teams that qualify. So our... North American, which is us and Canada, we get one slot. So a few years ago, four years ago, we, the Pan Am Games were in Toronto. So just like the Olympics, the host country 
has all the sports in it. And so they didn't have to qualify for the Pan Am for the North American spot. We had to go to a second chance qualifier, which we played against Uruguay. And it was, again, a home and away series. And we ended up losing uh, that spot to Uruguay. Uruguay ended up winning the bronze medal that year at Pan Am game. So they're a very good team. And you know, sometimes you don't like to lose and you want to go to Pan Am games. But the fact that you actually lost to a team that won a bronze medal, you know, you have to tip your hat to them. So this is uh, our qualifier. Uh, we play a home and away series. We play at Auburn University first on Sunday uh, at three o'clock and the men will play at five. And then on September 3rd, we'll travel to Montreal and uh, have a practice on the third and the fourth. And then we'll play Canada on September 5th for um, the final qualification. So a few years ago, 2011, we qualified for the Pan Am game which was in Mexico City, and we qualified at the skin of our teeth. It was the most intense series I've ever been a part of. And uh, we ended up competing in Lake Placid at the Olympic Training Center, and we lost 25 to 20, 20 to 25, we lost. And we had to go to Canada, and five-goal deficit, that's, that's a lot of goals. And so anyway we go to Canada and it was like, it was one of those moments as an athlete where it, you're in the zone, you're in your ideal performance state is what we call it. And you don't even think about anything. And that's how I felt on the court. I didn't even know what the score was. I didn't know anything. And I just remember we just kept pouring it on. We just kept pushing the envelope and scoring. And we ended up winning 26 to 21. Because we scored more goals than them, we were able to qualify for the Pan Am game. Yeah, and it was like the smallest margin they could qualify. That's how that's how we qualified. So it was pretty intense, and we got to go to the Pan Am games, and it was you know a mini Olympics. And I've been to World Championships with USA Baseball, and this is definitely one of the icings on the cake in my athletic career. It was the most unbelievable experience I've ever had. Um, not only do you have 40 countries there from our hemisphere, but you also get to meet all these amazing U.S. athletes that are world champions or Olympic champions, and you get to watch them perform live and talk to them. And, you know, they get to talk to you, and they're excited about handball, and they enjoy handball. So it's pretty cool experience as an athlete that you get to get a chance and an opportunity to be with all these amazing athletes. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because – you know, the U.S. hasn't qualified for the Olympics since 1996. So right. I think just for a lot of people in the U.S., we say handball, what's that? But they don't realize how small that tournament is and versus how many people, how many countries play it. So right. to actually get into the tournament is an incredible feat to begin with. Absolutely. And the thing about us is that the gold medal, the team that wins the gold medal, they have an automatic bid. Everybody else, second, third, and fourth place, they get to go to a second chance tournament. From five down, you don't get an opportunity unless second, third, and fourth decide not to go, and then we take the next three. But usually the second, third, and fourth end up going to the second chance qualifier. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. We, in our hemisphere, we get one spot on the Olympic spot. Uh, and so it's been very difficult for our hemisphere uh, where we consistently qualified 
before from 84 until 96 we qualified and we had really great women's teams and men's teams but since then unfortunately we have not had um, the proper development I would say in our country to continue that upward trajectory of progress and that's the unfortunate part about it is that you know your viewers may not know what handball is and that's part of the reason why is because we haven't been able to grow and develop it the way that we should or the way that USA Soccer did with their teams and their program and so now I know that soccer is a, a world sport but um, you know their formula and their approach was spot on in terms of growth and development in our country and I think that that's something that my national governing body is definitely looking to reproduce and and we just we I'm on the board of directors as well. So we've gone over a strategic plan and we're starting to plan and grow for the next next 10 years, 20 years uh, for handball in our country. And it really starts with the development, growth and development of a grassroots program, but also um, the focus of the national teams and, and getting us to the championship level that we need to play on on the international stage. Yeah, because it's a bit of a catch-22 of how do you get the kids interested when they're not seeing it, they don't see it on TV, they're not playing it in high school, they're not playing it in middle school. So right. how does that develop? So yeah, that's yeah. that's the challenge. Be inspired by us as athletes, right? But if they have no connection with us, it's so, it's such a difficult. And like I said, I've been in the program for 13 years now. I've, I've been very fortunate and lucky to be a part of this organization and represent my country, which has always been a dream of mine anyway. And I've, I've seen really great things with uh, the development, uh, youth development, and then it, it really has been stagnant. Um, it hasn't really caught fire across the, the country, unfortunately. But Auburn University, we have a, a pedagogy um, discipline, and they've worked a lot with the elementary school kids around the state of Alabama. So we've grown it um, in the state of Alabama. It's also in the Alabama State Games. So the kids have a really good time playing it as well. And they want to start their club teams at school. So that's that's always really great when you have things like that. We also have um, Rita Clanton, who I work with in the school of kinesiology. And she was the 84 Olympian and she was the assistant coach of the 96 women's national team. And uh, her, her passion is sport and uh, sport performance. And she's been able to be a, a great mentor for us and help grow and develop handball in, in the community and in the state of Alabama as well. So we have people like that sprinkled all over our country, but now it's about actually working together to advance the sport. And 2028 is around the corner. I know it seems like a far ways away, but it is around the corner. And, you know, reflecting on my career, it, it feels like it has gone by in a blink of an eye. And four years ago, I moved here to Auburn and been waiting for this particular moment. Uh, and I told my students today, yeah, I've been training this whole time. And they're like, they're like, oh my gosh, for four years, this is what you've been doing. But it's not just like four years, I'm just training. It's four years and there's everything in between it. Pan Am championships, qualifying, world. There's all of these different international tournaments that we've prepared for. And so it Yes, it's like this moment, it's a crucial moment for us, but there's been so much work that has gone into um, the growth and development of our team and our organization that, yeah, it does come down to this and there's a lot of pressure, but it's good pressure and we're prepared for it. So I'm really looking forward to the competition this week. 
Very good. Well, we are over time or right at our time. But one one last question. If people wanted to get involved, what would what would you say to go do? I would say uh, the best way to get involved is to go to our website, usateenhandball.org. We have information on our website that talks about growing a club, developing a club in your area, a local club in your area. We also are looking at um, having assistance from the International Handball Federation is looking at putting different uh, handball academies or areas around our country to help us grow and develop the sport of handball. And so we're looking at different locations right now where we could see best fit, where we have the we can maximize handball in those areas. You could also just start a club. Uh, social media is a great thing because you could just Google people and you could find them on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever. There's tons of coaches around our country. There's a ton of athletes and you can just Google us and, and maybe message us on, on um, our social media platforms. And our social media person, she does a really good job with contacting and responding usually. Um, Liz, who's also yeah, she did a great job at responding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. She's a workhorse, but yeah, she she'll put you in contact with people that you need to contact. So um, we have our contact information on our website, but also feel free to check out the rosters and maybe Google people. And the athletes are always uh, willing to help as well. We know that we're a small group, but um, the more information we could get out to the population. Uh, the better for us. But yeah, it's such a fun sport. I really encourage everybody to try it or seek out where you can try it. Watch it on TV. You can pull it up on YouTube and watch all the cool goals or defensive stops by the goalies. That's always exciting as well. And yeah, don't be afraid to reach out to us because we're more than willing to help. Perfect. Thank you so much, Sarah. That was a lot of fun to talk to you. Uh, You can follow Sarah on Instagram. Her Insta handle is at USAGAS4. That's all in caps, too, and the number four. Their upcoming Pan Am qualifier on Saturday is being live streamed at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time in the U.S., and we will have a link to that in our show notes. So, man, I, I you know, this is a sport where I don't understand why we don't play it more because it is made for PE classes. It, I did play handball in high school PE class. Did you? We played Once, something similar. Right. You that know, it was involved on kicking. a basketball court sort yeah. of, tur- you know, you turn it sideways so that it's mm-hmm. wide enough. I remember doing it a few times, but, you know, there are no school teams. There's no clubs to go join and play it like there is with soccer and softball. And so you played a couple times in PE and that's it. It doesn't go anywhere from right, there. Right. So if you like it, there's nowhere to really go or you kind of bury that until like maybe you run into it later. Because I've, I've heard like when you watch European handball, because it's professional over there, like oh, yeah. the crowds are insane and it's really high intensity. And, you know, after talking with Sarah, you know, I put another list on stuff I want to watch for Tokyo. Like, I think that would be awesome to be there and just feel that experience. Right. And it's the kind of sport that it's easy for Americans to understand because you really don't, when we were getting ready to do this, I was just quickly watching some segments of it and you put the ball in the net 
and people run back and forth. You know, it's you can get what's going on even if you don't understand all the penalties or you don't understand all the, the rules. It's close enough and familiar enough that you can enjoy watching the sport without really understanding all the nuances. Yes. And they they do fancy things. They sort of jump and throw at the same time. And I don't know. And these are all, (laughs) again, another sport for tall women (laughs) who fly and crash. And I'm just frightened when they do that. But you know what struck me? And I I was laughing because I was writing a note while we were talking was Sarah said something very similar to what Tessa said about rowing, that the American team is known for strength and toughness and the European teams are known for style and finesse. And now we've seen that more than once that American teams are just like big, tough, brawny. Right. Teams. Right. Brute and force. the Europeans are, I know. Get it done. Yes. And it's like, no wonder that sports like that work in the United States. Cause that's what we're good at. We're not good at finesse sports. Very true. Or like, you know, I'm sure you get some attitude from other countries because we do have that brute force. Right. And we have that get it done attitude, which is very American. But yes. it's it, it was fascinating to hear how like it's very blue collar-ish or it's like the American teams just come in and overpower and strength and and everyone else is like, but you're not pretty when you do it. Look at our style. Like, no, we don't have style. We're Americans. Give us a big cheeseburger. It's like, so... I'm beginning to understand our international reputation. So much better. Oh, but I, I'm going to try to tune in. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to watch handball. Because it does look, it does look like fun when you do watch. Find some good YouTube clips, and we'll put some YouTube clips in the link in the in the show notes, and we'll get some stuff Yay. going on social. Yeah, get into it. This is a sport you can get into. So thank you, listener Quinn, for putting it on our short list. Because I'm very glad we got to talk about it. I hope they show some. You know, it's hard to see in the United States. They probably don't even yeah. air it because no, the American no. team never makes it in. Right. So that is very hard to do. But but... I can watch the Dutch. And you know what happens when you watch the Dutch? You get to watch royalty. You get to watch the king and queen of the Netherlands. Because the <laughs> Dutch are really good at this. And there's a whole professional Dutch league. I was watching some Dutch league, hoping I would see the king and queen, but they weren't there. But, but maybe no, at the Olympics, what? they will be. Yeah, maybe. You know what, though? On the men's side, I have to look this up real quick. The men, the USA men, have like a Swedish guy coaching them now just like came in in like july it's like what they did with soccer they brought in the european coaches yes robert hayden hired as a usa men's national team coach his assignment will run through this pan am qualifier he is swedish and a manager of a team in norway and he won olympic silver medals at 92 and 96 so and then he had he he had a career in spain germany and switzerland oh okay and was head Norway's head coach from 2008 to 2014. I wonder if they let him back in Sweden after he did that. <laughs> oh, let's maybe, get the Scandinavian maybe, scandal. Well, you know, because this, this little assignment re- reminds me of something I've been watching off my DVR because Olympic Channel has a bunch of shows. So there's one show, you know, it might be called Z-Force, it might be called something else, but it was, hey, we're going to take like a kid's club team 
and bring them an Olympian to help train them for a short period of time. So the episode I saw was this like high school age boys water polo team in Malta and they had never they hadn't won a game in ages and ages and ages. So this Hungarian gold medalist or multi gold medalist came, yeah, went over there for a there. week. Yes, went over for a week and coached them through and of course they won the game at the end. It was close. That didn't look like they were going to win, but they did pull it out. But these kids he taught them all this stuff and all these different drills and it was really cool to watch. So I wonder if this little handball temporary coaching assignment will give the USA some more skill to be able to at least on the men's side you know pop up and yeah maybe do something maybe that maybe the maybe the women can rub off on that as well but yeah it would be nice if they could qualify for the pan Am games i mean it's so tough so tough and it's such a small tournament small tournament and i didn't realize in the like the international handball federation there are 197 members so you know that's countries and if there are other like pan-american type members so you're talking about most of the countries in the world will play handball yeah that's tough and to only, get in. you know 12 get in yeah eight what it's eight eight to eight though for the yeah for the pan am but uh tokyo i believe is 12 teams getting into you know, the Tokyo percentage wise yes yeah, so yeah it's very very tough so we are rooting for you sarah oh i forgot to tell her she's in yeah we're rooting for you sarah you're a member of team olympic fever so maybe that buzz will keep you going yeah are we going to talk gymnastics today or are we going to hold that for October? Um, well, let me just tell you about the gymnastics tournament real quick. So you got to attend the U.S. Nationals. Yes, yes. If we want to go back to short people sports, I did attend the U.S. Nationals gymnastics tournament. And, okay, I need to tell you something, how disappointed I was. So tickets oh. were supremely, well, no, no, not necessarily in the competition, but oh. in the event itself. So oh. tickets were pretty expensive and I had thought about going multiple days or to multiple events and then just ended up going to the women's final day and my nosebleed seat cost $75 which I bought with plenty of seats available I bought it at the venue because there were some tickets that the ticket master fees were more than the ticket itself I'm not kidding you it was insane and of course the place is it's not very crowded, but where it is crowded, there's a lot of gymnastics clubs and a lot of little girls so excited, right? Yes. I thought this would be something akin to the skating championships because Boston has also held the nationals and the world champs. And both of those were like party central. And on the main concourse, there are booze and you know you can buy leotards you can buy skating gear you can get trading cards you can uh there's puffs and there's smuckers and there's all this stuff here there were were two official merch stands and xfinity had a little podium thing with two sad looking people and there were a couple of like vertical banners one was like advertising maybe a leotard brand or something but the banner had swarovski crystals on it and i think there was one other little banner that had morgan Hurd and another uh male gymnast that was it there was no party no nothing no vendors it was empty so that was a huge disappointment go wow usa gymnastics is this par for the course or is this 
special have, for the situation now. Right. Because have sponsors pulled out from USAG mm -hmm. because of the scandal with Larry Nassar. Yes. Yes. So you have to wonder about that. I would, if you, if you know, let us know, because I'd be curious to hear whether or not yeah. that this is taken to be, it, it was interesting though. The awards at the end were handed out by like the director of PR marketing communications. I think they said for Xfinity because they were the big sponsor, and Carrie Perry from USA Gymnastics. And the woman from Xfinity got more applause than Carrie Perry, which was also quite telling. Which she should because USA Gymnastics should be absolutely still ashamed of themselves. Yes. And be more because forthright with done, communication. They've done nothing to clean themselves up. Right. So. And let's not even. We've been avoiding right. this topic. So <laughs> let's continue to avoid it. Okay. okay. So we should probably say that. Yes. We have been avoiding the whole scandal on purpose because we just don't want to talk about it. Don't want to talk about it. It's horrible. Don't know how to fix it because you're talking about systemic coverings yeah. up and all of that and just we need a change in sports i i would not just gymnastics sports overall and yeah. and people got to stop being creepy that's you know yeah got to go back to square one what is wrong with people that right. they feel that they need to do this to young people but we'll talk about a little bit when we talk about the youth olympics yes so they had uh the beijing team there to celebrate their 10th anniversary so a lot oh, of people, a lot oh, of the old gymnasts right. were there, men and women. That was cool. They paraded them out. And then the competition itself was cool. And it's been a while since, oh, oh, I have to tell you. So I buy my ticket and I'm heading up to the nosebleeds and there's empty seats everywhere. And as I'm walking up and looking at my ticket and looking where I'm supposed to sit and like, you got to be kidding me. They sat me next to somebody. Are you kidding? <sighs> really? I sat direct. I had an aisle seat. That was great. But I was like directly next to somebody. And I looked at this, this young woman and said well we're gonna be buddies and she was fantastic her name was uh alex i believe and so we're gonna call her alex she is a swimmer at northwestern university on scholarship she was at the olympic trials and she said i i know where i stand in the world of swimming basically and that they try to get swimming knows how to do it because they get a ton of people into the, the olympic trials and it's a huge long event they pack the place and, you know, the more people you have, the more athletes you have in there, the more family and friends that come to watch. So it's a huge right. party. There's like indoor fireworks. They make it really enormous. And now I don't know where Olympic trials are going to be. I kind of want to go. So, I but, know. but clearly she was, USA Gymnastics, no indoor fireworks. Learn. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Those are internal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they need a bomb, I'll tell them that much. Right. So Alex and I spent a lot of time talking about swimming, which was fun. And I had a ton of ideas that I wrote some down. So now I figured out what we can talk about. So she said it was really cool to swim in the temporary pools. They were really nice. Oh, so good. That Yay, was fun. Martha. Yeah, right. And uh, so then, you know, watching gymnastics live is like trying to it's really hard to focus yeah. you have to be all over the place the vault rotation always ended so early because like only three of the women did two vaults right because they only went down to third place and somebody explained that 
explained to me later that people are afraid to get two vaults up to competition level because of the difficulty involved in doing so. So they just do one and move on. Do we have a problem? That that strikes me as a problem where people say, I'm not going to do that because it takes too much to get two vaults in the competition. So explain that okay, to me. Okay, no, no, no. Okay, yes, I can explain this to you. Okay. Vault requires certain skill. That's why you have vault specialists who okay. do the two vaults and compete. Vault is different than the other apparatus, just in terms of skill. And so unless you're a vault specialist, getting two up to competition level, you're going to get hurt. Okay. And if you get hurt, especially if you hurt, you know, an ankle, which is usually what's going to go down, mm -hmm. you can't train anything else. Okay. And the, the difficulty level of these vaults is so ridiculous now that it's the most likely way to hurt yourself, I think is really the, the issue. So if you're going to focus on all around, or if you're another specialist, you know, if you're a beam specialist and you just need to have a vault in your pocket, you're not going to train two vaults. That's why. And the other problem is that the vault specialists, their level of difficulty is so incredibly high that you're not going to even you know you're not going to compete. You're just going to get a good enough vault to stay in the all-around. Okay. Still not a fan of this concept, but I get it. Yeah. But I don't, you know, you just go, well, you know, maybe too difficult is too difficult. I mean, the, pro the problem is that the difficulty, you know, it's like the quads in jumping. In, uh, mm -hmm. jumping skating. In, in skating. If you're focusing on the quads, you're losing everything else of the sport. And gymnastics right. is, is the same thing as happening. Okay, interesting. Simone Biles, head and shoulders above the rest. You could tell. Yes. Like, you could know nothing about gymnastics and then see her go and be like, what? Morgan Hurd was adorable, I thought. She was. She's so cute. And just, you can tell, even from my nosebleed seat, you can see the focus and the composure. And she got this big crystal bowl for being athlete of the year. And I was like, what are you going to do with that? I, I looked at Alex and I said, you know, in like 10 years... I'd be using that bowl for my dinnerware at holidays. You know, like, that's the mashed potato bowl. Oh, look, Morgan won, a, <laughs> won something. I mean, seriously, crystal given to you. Yeah. Serving. <laughs> well, you have to remember that these athletes have a section of their house. Right, they do. All their just all their yes, I know, but you could double purpose them. But <laughs> that is so Midwestern of you. <laughs> That you would put the mashed, of all the things you could have put in the crystal bowl, you're going to put the mashed potatoes. At least you didn't say the green bean salad. Because <laughs> that's got to go in the oven. Right. Oh, right. You, can't you do know that. what you could put in there? What? What, the jello salad with the canned fruit in it. Oh, that's yummy. <laughs> no, you can't because it has to go in a special mold. Come on. Let's. Oh, <laughs> it goes in a ring. Oh, that's oh for the next Olympic party. I'm gonna make a jello mold of the Olympic rings. There you go. Anyway, Jordan Childs had the best leotard. She had a Wonder Woman leotard. Oh, it was fantastic. She also did quite well. Like everyone did pretty well. And there was like one person who fell off the beam a little bit. And one person who unfortunately slipped from the top bar, the uneven bars, and just like landed right on her back, but got popped back up and did her, um, her routine. 
Because another thing they did not have, which even a figure skating did, was like a one-sheet photocopy of the rotations and the order of people. And they didn't do anything. I, unless they sold a program at the merch stand, which had a huge line. But um, I can't imagine they would have had it in, you know, a big printed program because you don't know those rotations. Right. Until the end. Until the end. Margzetta Frazier. She was my other favorite. Margzetta just missed qualifying for the U.S. team that did 2017 Worlds. In June, she fractured her sternum on a double <gasps> pike beam dismount. And she thought she was done. And then she got the call not that long before the event that they wanted her to compete at national championships. So she came out of retirement and she's got to compete at UCLA. So yeah, she had about two weeks of training before she did nationals and she did quite well. Not fantastically, you know, you won't see her high up on results or, you know, they didn't have a ton of, they never have a ton of people in the, the second day, but I was quite proud of her. Oh, Fractured yeah. <laughs> sternum. Oh. Gymnasts get the gnarliest injuries because you can hit any part of your body on a very hard piece of equipment. Yeah, so she was fun See? to watch. She was fun Tough to watch. Tough and blue yeah. collar and strong. America. America. So yeah, it was a, it was a fun competition to watch. It was really weird to see rotations finishing at different times or seeing people have to really wait for their rotation for them to get the green light and it was fun to watch or try to watch like what the judges were looking for when they were ready and that kind of thing but overall like the and and the kids there were having a great time but yeah, seeing their overall, heroes like overall there's like a little you know a pall I guess you would say yeah a little second rate yeah we shall see we will look for worlds because we'll do we'll try to get some bigger gymnastics coverage for worlds because that's actually going to decide some teams that go to Tokyo. Yes. You got anything else? I'm good. I think it's I think it's time for us to hang it up. So we are going to hang it up for this week and call it an episode. In the coming weeks, we still have our fun interview with the mayor of uh, Montreal's Olympic Village. And then I've also sat down with Jason Bryant, who was an announcer for wrestling at Rio 2016. And we had a very long conversation, which was fantastic. I was surprised when we got off the line at how long it actually was. It was one of those kind of conversations. So he's going to be in a few episodes throughout the next few months. So we'll talk about wrestling and we talk about how wrestling almost got kicked out of the Olympics because he has the inside line on that. And then what it was like to be an announcer at Rio and his take on the games. So he's a lot of fun. I'm excited about those. And then we're still working on other we got stuff going. We got stuff in the in the hopper. I'm excited. I'm hot. I am too. It's very hot here. So we yeah. will call it a day so we can get back into the air conditioning. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And until next time, keep the flame alive. We love to hear from you. Email us at info at olimfever.com or leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. You can also interact with us on social. We're Olden Fever on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. 2028 is around the corner. 